Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Welcome, everybody. We are going to have a fun night tonight. I'm excited, and I got to bring toys. My kids saw that I was bringing props, and they're like, well, maybe I want to stick around. Um, they, always, they always like the toys. Well, I am excited. Today, we're going to talk about some traps. Uh, I brought a trap. Traps can be fun. Traps can be dangerous. Um, so I'm going to try to be careful because I don't actually want to get trapped. But traps are everywhere. And this one's legit. Let's keep my fingers, okay? So trap is set. If you didn't see it, there's now a set trap on my podium. So I get to be careful, and we we get to play with that throughout the night. So, um, but we're going to talk about traps because I think that we live in a world that's full of traps. Now, obviously, I could say, yes, there are lots of metal traps and people who trap animals with them. But the Bible says that we have an enemy who comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. And I think he sets traps for us regularly. In fact, the Bible says that he sets traps for us regularly. And when I begin to look at this, I begin to ponder it. I thought, well, what are the traps that the devil uses? How does he disguise the trap? Because if I was to like hold up a giant sign that says, this is a trap, who wants to put their hand in it? Nobody in here is that stupid, right? No one's going to go, hmm, let me try. Like, no, because... No, you wouldn't do it for $100 because the medical bill of fixing your finger is going to be far more than that. So, um, like, there's a thing. You just, you wouldn't. So how does the devil disguise a trap to get smart people to get caught in a trap? Because if you want to catch an animal that's smart, you have to, like, hide or disguise the trap. You don't just set it out and say, I put out a trap, so come get trapped. They, they, They avoid it. And the smarter the animal that you're trying to trap the harder you have to hide the trap and conceal it. I remember watching some videos of how they're going to, I don't remember what animal was causing problems that they were trying to get rid of and how they had to like lay the trap, hide the trap, set the trap, and then disguise the trap without setting off the trap. And it was quite an endeavor. But I begin to look and go, well, how does Satan get us to be ignorant of the traps? How does he get us trapped? And one of the the simple ways that he uses uh, is normal. Normal is very deceptive. So as a hunter, um, I eat the things that I hunt, so if you don't like it, sorry. Um, <laughs> that's how, how we get meat in our house. And so one of the things that some hunters will do is use a decoy. Um, I don't set out decoys very often, but sometimes dumb animals are your friend, even if you don't want the dumb animal. Because the smart animal sees the dumb animal and thinks it might be safe. So I remember one year there was a buck that I was after and I had encounters with this buck, but he would only come far away or after light. Like, it'd be like, ooh, look, legal shooting hours are ending. Oh, here he comes. Like, come on. And you're like, there's a shadow moving. I know the deer that I'm after is right there. And you get like moonlight on horns and you're like, and so 
season is, is going and, and I've had all these encounters as I'm chasing this, this buck. But then the one night, I, I know that he's there. This is the stand. This is the spot. But I just need him to show up before it's dark. But then a few deer that were not very bright showed up. I'm like, this is golden. And they're surrounding me. And you do have to be careful because they're not completely stupid. They're just not as smart as the buck that I was trying to get. But he comes in and I'm like, I can see him. And he's just hanging out over there. I just need him to come in. And he's like, I don't know. That's too open. It's too light. But there's other deer. And so eventually he decided to come join the other deer. And he joined my table. And so uh, this, is, this, is how, this is how it works. But a lot of times when we're trying to decide what's safe and what's a trap, we're looking at everybody around us going, is everybody else think it's a trap? Well, if they're all in this, this open area, it must be safe. But I have news for you. Yeah, I got to like, watch careful. <laughs> I like my fingers and I want to end the night with them. But uh, normal isn't working out very well for the world. I was just looking and I, I almost labeled this relationship traps because there's, there's so many different types of traps. There's relational traps, financial traps, sexual traps, theological traps, belief traps, speed traps. I mean, you got it. I mean, there are so many different types of traps. But as I was looking at these relationally, do you realize that in America, 50% of marriages end in divorce or thereabouts? First marriages, it's 40 to 50%. And second marriages, it's 60 to 67%. That co-inhabiting increases the divorce rate and it dramatically increases the odds of a relationship not lasting as compared to marriage. That 63% of Americans are experiencing anxiety that is the most common mental disorder. Nearly half, 47% of the people surveyed, um, experience anxiety regularly. And I begin to look going, why are we looking to the world to decide what's a good idea? If they are miserable they might be a bad gauge. And so I, I kind of started looking at this and said, well, is the church doing much better? And here's the problem. A lot of times people will look and go, well, church isn't different. Do you realize that your life isn't changed by going to church? If you don't apply the word, it doesn't matter. If Okay, has anyone ever gotten something that required assembly? Did it come with directions? Did you use them? Um, <laughs> if it comes with directions and you don't use them, they do not help. Unless you're like, well, I use them in case of emergency. Like when you get done and you have an extra bolt and you're like, what? Where did this go? Um, you're checking the count to see if you're supposed to have an extra. But statistically, Josh McDowell said that, um, said that most Christians or claiming Christians do not have a Christian worldview. Their worldview is not based on what the Bible says, but on what culture says. They did a study, and they said that 85% of Christians, of Christian students who went to a public school did not embrace a world biblical view. And then he went on, and uh, he said that there was less than a 4% difference between the attitudes and actions of professing Christian youth and non-Christian young people. If we don't do what God says, 
it doesn't help. If I give you perfect directions on how to avoid a trap, on how to receive a blessing, and you ignore my instructions, they don't help you. And a lot of times Christians will say, you know what? I'm struggling with my faith because I tried that and it didn't work. You, you didn't try it. You heard it. Or they halfway try it. Okay, so someone who I love and will leave nameless uh, liked some of my wife's cooking because my wife is a good cook. And so she'll be like, oh, hey, can I get that recipe? And she'll get the recipe, and then afterwards she'll complain and go, I made it, and it did not turn out like when you made it. She's like, I followed the recipe. And I have learned to just smile and nod. And you're like, you did? It's like, yeah. All the way? Well, well, yeah, except I didn't know if I was going to do it like that, so I, I switched the pan, and I did this, and I did that, and you're like, that's why it didn't work. Because you halfway followed it. And sadly, so much of the church has been guilty of halfway following God's direction and then complaining because they don't get the results. Halfway following the directions doesn't get you there. If I give you directions to someone's house that has five turns and you make half of those turns, do you realize you're not going to get there? And that's where so many Christians are at. But they're like, but I want a fulfilled life. I want a healthy marriage. I want the blessing of the Lord in your heart. Well, great, then you need to follow his instructions. And so, in fact, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 8 says that God guards the path of justice and is watching over the way of his saints. And when I, I read that, it shocked me because I thought he protected the just. I thought he blessed the saints. But it doesn't say that he does that. He says that he protects the way and the path. And he tells you, if you walk on this path, this path is blessed. This path has been cleared or verified as trap free. But when we go, yeah, but I don't want to do it your way. He's not out there going, well, that's it. I'm going to smack you, sucker. Like, no. But if he tells you don't step that way and you step in the trap, Whose fault? And I have talked to people and they're like, I don't understand why my marriage is poo. I don't understand why my wife hates me. And you're like, I'm sorry. What's going on? Conversation goes on and he's like, I, you surrendered your life to God? No, he'd make me stop all my fun. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, I could have to stop cheating on my wife. I'm like, well, no wonder she hates you. Like, but he was afraid to give up from the, the, the traps, but he was complaining about being trapped. Anyways, that's a whole other thing. But Proverbs 23, verse 26 says, Pay close attention, son, and let my life be an example. Prostitutes and immoral women are a deadly trap. They wait, wait for you like a robber and cause many men to be unfaithful. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 go all through this, and they describe the immoral woman. And I was reading through this this last time going through Proverbs and I started marking this. In fact, I decided not to bring that set of notes because it had 24 points and there's no way on earth I was going to make it through 24 points. But it had 24 different things that I caught about this immoral woman. And as I was looking at it, I said, you know what? This isn't really just about the immoral woman. 
This could be about the immoral man, but this actually looks like pornography. It's here in the street, here in the square, everywhere that you go, there it is. It's, it's looking to multiply the unfaithful. And I begin to look and to begin to realize that this is a trap that our society has been thoroughly captured by. I was looking at some statistics and they said that 70% of men, 18 to 34, look at porn weekly. At least one in three women look at porn weekly, which means I didn't look at the, like, the breakdown of each age group and how hooked each age group is. But off of those numbers, the majority of people are struggling at some point. As I begin to look at this, I begin to think about the fact that a few years ago, if you wanted to look at pornography, you had to go searching for it. You would have to go find an adult bookstore or to find like the hidden corner at the video rental place to find something that you probably shouldn't find. Now, if you don't want to find it, you have to work to resist it. You no longer have to search. It shows up. You go, what's the news? And it's like, hey, someone forgot their bathing suit. And you're like, what? I'm looking for what's going on in the country. And they're like, yeah, but guess what celebrity looks like? And it, like, there's advertisements. You're like, hey, I'm going to shop for new pants. Hey, look who's not wearing it. What, do you, what does it have to do with what I'm searching for? There is not a correlation, except that you're breathing and breathing people looked at stuff that wasn't appropriate. And, and it just shows up. And it, it goes through. The number of, of television sexual scenes has almost doubled since 1998. And that was written in a book that came out in 2005. 56% of divorces involve one spouse continued use of internet pornography. Um, it is all over. And the Bible gives some clear instructions. It says, flee from sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. And our world likes to go, okay, well, well, does this count? And there's always this like, how far is too far? And what line? So let me just, this Greek word, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals, um, uh, sexual intercourse with relatives. And it goes, goes through um, and it defines, uh, pornea is the Greek word. Listen, sex, which is kind of where we get the whole word um, pornography. But it goes through this, and so much of the church goes, well, I've heard maybe that we're not supposed to, but I don't know that it's in the Bible, where it's in the Bible. So if you're wondering, 1 Corinthians 6, 18, Galatians 5, 19, Ephesians 5, 3, Colossians 3, 5, all tell you, um, and all define fornication, sex, outside of marriage between one man and one woman as wrong. And I remember somebody who grew up, actually grew up here, with, a, with this understanding that sex was for inside of marriage, but no idea where the Bible said it. And she got into a relationship and the guy's like, well, you're not supposed to just have sex with anybody. It's for, and he came up with all of this like creative fluff to deceive her because she didn't know. So I want you to know the Bible is very clear that sex is a great gift from the Lord inside of marriage. But a good thing in the wrong place is not a good thing anymore. If you don't believe me, do you value breathing? Stick your head underwater. Try it again. 
It's a good thing, but in the wrong place, it's deadly. All right, so if, <clears throat> if the Bible's so clear, I don't think anybody in here, when I say that sex is for inside of marriage between one man and one woman, I don't think anybody in here was like, <gasps> what? Did the pastor just say that? I don't think anyone was shocked. So why statistically do over half of the people struggle? Because it's a trap. We're going to have some fun with this. Um, <clears throat> because a trap that's hidden. And people don't realize what they're getting into. I can like hear the breath getting like sucked <laughs> out of the room. But there's this thing that's that's amazing. I go, well, well, well why? And here's, here's some of the lies that the devil uses to disguise this trap, this trap of immorality. And if you're like, well, hey, I don't struggle with that at all. That's okay. These lies that Satan uses to trap people there are the same lies he uses to hide a whole bunch of different traps. So follow me. And someone that you know, I promise you, is dealing with one of these lies. Number one, this one the world tells, goes, just follow your heart. Some of you guys are smart. You're already laughing. Okay, so Proverbs 28, verse 26. I'm going to read it from the New King James. It says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's the way of death. Seemed like a good idea. That straw is now shorter. But I want you to understand that just because it seems like a good idea doesn't mean that it is. Do we have any fishermen in the house? Any fishermen or women? Fisherwomen? Okay. When you go to catch fish, you don't stand at the end of the dock and hold out a net and say, Here, fishy, fishy, fishy. Come to me. I am hungry. That does not work. That is not how you fish. You take something that looks good. And it may not look good to you, but it looks good to them. Worms don't ever really make me hungry. But when you're fishing, you take the worm and you put it on the hook and you cast it out there because to the fish, the worm looks good. And now, sometimes, I gotta flip this part first. We need to play with our trap again. That's all the way in there before I move my fingers. Okay. Has anyone ever lost their worm without catching the fish when you were fishing? More people have lost their worm than fish. That's amazing. But here's the thing sometimes we can believe that just because I touched the trap and I didn't get trapped, it didn't spring, that it's safe. And we're like, well, I flirted with this line where, hey, I crossed this and nothing blew up. So it must be okay. But do you realize that if you keep fishing and the thing keeps taking your worm, do you know how to catch that fish? Put another worm on. And put it back out there. And maybe it'll get away with another worm. 
maybe, and you just keep adding, you just keep putting another worm on there, you just keep putting it out there, and sooner or later, you're going to get him with the hook. Now, in our life, it's really easy to go, but the trap didn't spring last time, so it must be okay. It must be safe. Anyone ever played Jenga? Okay, so for those who've never played Jenga, it's a game where you make a tower full of blocks and then you try to take blocks out of the tower and add them to the top and not knock it over. But eventually, it falls. How many pieces you can take out, it's not a science. Part of it depends on how good you are. But eventually, it falls. and You don't want to be that person. But that's what a lot of us are doing with our life. Is we're going, how many pieces can I make unstable? How many places can I disregard what God says? How much compromise can I fit in? And so they get this idea that it looks good. And that if it looks good, that must make it okay. Well, my heart is drawn to that. Samson looked at a, a woman from a nation that he was not supposed to be um, following because the, the Bible said it would lead his heart astray. And he goes to his parents and he says, but she looks good to me. And he goes, isn't that all that matters is that it looks good that I have a desire for it. In Proverbs chapter five, speaking of the immoral woman or speaking of this, it goes, her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is as bitter as the wormwood. It goes on and says, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Number two, this next lie that Satan uses to hide this trap. Well, God wants me happy. Now that lie, it's not that God doesn't want you happy, but they take this out of context. Happiness is not his primary concern for you. Um, And so, They use this to justify all sorts of things that are stupid. All sorts of things that aren't right. And things that we would know better, we look and we go, well, the Bible says, but they go, yeah, yeah, but you don't understand. God wouldn't want me to be miserable. You don't understand. And particularly in marriage and sex. Marriage, sex, and divorce, I guess, really, is this area that I hear this excuse all the time. Well, God, God wouldn't want me to be unhappy because God wants to give me the desires of my heart. Psalms 37, verse 4. Did you read the first part? The first part says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That does not mean he's going to give you everything you've ever wanted. It means if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you desires. And when, when, where you delight determines what you desire. That is why they do marketing. They try to get you to delight in their stuff, to look at it, to meditate on it, and to birth a desire in you that will cause you to have an action that will benefit them financially. That's marketing. Satan does marketing. And <clears throat> I am not against marketers, but just just know that Satan's trying to market things to you. 
In James 1.14, it says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Our desire does not justify our actions. Just because I want it doesn't make it okay. Just because I want it doesn't mean God's going to approve of it. Just because it's hard doesn't mean I get to break the covenant that I made before God. I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to that say, you know what, hey, I want to get a divorce. And you're like, um, why? They're like, God wants me happy and my spouse is X, Y, and Z. And, and they go through all this. I'm like, okay, you made a covenant for better or worse. Congratulations, you found worse. Um, and they're like, it's driving me crazy. It's not healthy. I'm like, and you said in sickness and in health. But they go through and they go, but, but, but I want to want to be happy. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, passions, evil desires, covetousness, and idolatry. Do you realize that putting to death any part of you is not pleasant? But, so much of our world, like this is one of the leading uh, emotional arguments of the LGBTQ+. And they're like, you don't understand. If <clears throat> you're sentencing me to a life of misery, God doesn't want me to be miserable. And I'm like, okay, okay. You don't need to be miserable your entire life. But they have told a second lie that fulfillment, that sex equals fulfillment or sexual pleasure equals fulfillment. And therefore, if you rob me of my sexual fulfillment, you have of pleasure, you've robbed me of a fulfilled life. Therefore, you are dehumanizing me. It's a series of, of, of thoughts. Sex is a wonderful gift from God inside of marriage. Sex is not the fulfillment of humanity. Putting to death my sexual desires is something that we are all called to do, whether we're heterosexual, homosexual, it does not matter what it is that you've desired. I guarantee 99.9999999999999% of humans um, that have grown up have had a wrong sexual desire. And, and we get to, to choose to go, God, are you boss or are my desires my master? See, Romans chapter six says that the one that we choose to obey, we have made master in our life. And when we take sex and say, you know what? My sexual desire is king and fulfilling that is what defines me. What we're saying is my God is sex. In Revelation, it goes through this over and over and, and goes and talks about them and their worship of Sex, and it's talking prophecies about the end times, which is where we are. And this has been a thing with idolatry where they've used sex ever since in the middle of the Bible. And you're going you're to see this all throughout. But we, if, if we get this idea that my desire equals justification, I will end up in this trap. It's, it's a disguise for the trap. The next lie um, is nothing blew up. It's that kind of that whole, I tapped on it and it didn't go right away. But 
just because something didn't blow up, just because you didn't feel it yet. When in the Garden of Eden, Satan's first thing was, did God really say, you won't surely die? There really won't be consequences. It's going to be okay. And I think this lie is so prominent, but we just don't recognize it. We just go, well, I know that God says, but it really isn't that big of a deal. This, this lie that it doesn't really matter, there really won't be lasting consequences. If we really believed God when he said that his way is better, we wouldn't do the stupid things that we often do. If I had really honored God in everything, I wouldn't have screws inside my foot. But I thought I found a way to bypass honoring the rulers or the authorities in the place that I was climbing. And so I decided that two mats equaled one friend and gave me license to disregard the rules. The rules were there in place to protect me. I discovered why the rules were in place. And they screwed my foot back together. But if I believed that I was actually going to get that hurt, there's no way that I would have done that. But so often we get into these things and we go, well, it really won't be that big of a deal. And when we, when we fall for that, we end up playing on this trap until we're trapped. Proverbs 5.22 says that the cords of, the, of the, the, um, the iniquity of the wicked ensnares them and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. That as he plays with this, he gets trapped. And it goes on, and this next lie that he hides these traps with is that a little won't hurt. And this lie of compromise is how great men and women fall. Because you look and you go, there's no way I would be that stupid to do that thing that's way over there. But what's one step? It's not like anything really happened. I know that that's not my wife, but... Well, I know I probably shouldn't be talking with her that often, you know, and it, that, that I'm getting a little bit too much joy out of that relationship, but nothing actually happened. You know, it's just a lunch. It's not like it's actually a date or anything. It was just this, this lunch that we had together. Sure, there was no one else there, but it wasn't really a date. Sure, I paid for the lunch, but what's it really matter? It wasn't that big of a thing. Sure, maybe we're going out to lunch on a regular basis, but it's not like we did anything sexually yet. It was just like we, were, we just barely touched hands. It wasn't that big of a deal. Like we were just holding hands. It was just a little kiss. Oh, oh, it was just, I don't know what happened. How did we have an affair? I didn't mean for that to happen. That story's been played out thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Where it starts with, well, I would never do that. I remember talking to a student who goes, I thought that drinking alcohol was so stupid. And I said, I would never do that. But then I had a friend. And he started drinking. And it was a, I started hanging out with my friend. But not when he was drinking. Then I started hanging out with my friend even if he was drinking. And I started going to parties with my friend even when his, he was drinking. Then I, then I had a little bit. And then he got arrested for being a minor in possession as it went. But this, this, this lie 
that a little bit won't matter is huge. Make no provision for the flesh. Leave no um, footholds for the devil. In, in James 1.15, it goes through and tells us that, our, that sin starts here. Most of us think of sin by the fruit. It's like an apple tree. We recognize it normally by its fruit, right? You walk up and you're like, what's it growing? It's an apple? It's an apple tree. Now, if you want to get rid of all the apples, do you know what you do? You cut down the tree. But what a lot of people do is they go, I don't want to have any apples. And then they plant a thousand apple trees. And then they fertilize them and they try to pick all of the fruit. And then they're like, I don't understand how the fruit ended up on the ground. They're like, I didn't want to have any unfaithfulness, but I kept clicking on all of these different sites. I kept thinking about meditating on these different desires until those desires in me begin to grow. Because remember, where I delight, where I, I meditate and where I delight produces a desire. Where your mind and desires dwell, your body will follow. Where your mind and desires dwell, your body will follow. If you plant these seeds, and pastors talked about this, how your heart will grow things. And when I plant these seeds in my heart, they're going to produce something in my life. All right, so these are a couple of the lies that disguise the trap. What if you're already in the trap? And I got news, because statistically... Uh, a lot of people, whether here or watching online, have been caught. And you go, well, what do you do? The first thing is you need to know that Jesus still loves you. I don't care what trap you fell into. You need to know that Jesus still loves loves you. And there is so many lies that try to keep you in this trap saying, it doesn't matter anymore. You've already been trapped. So just stay here. God's never going to forgive you. God could never use you. And that's a bunch of baloney. This idea that God hates people who sin is wrong. He goes through. And if you look at Jesus, you find the religious people mad because he kept loving on people who were messed up. When they all wanted to judge somebody, when they all wanted to stone somebody, he looks at the person and the person caught in the act of adultery and he goes, hey, he deals with the accusers and he goes, hey, let, he, who has the first, he who has no sin be the first to cast a stone. When they all left, he goes, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. When someone was guilty of sexual sin, his response wasn't string them up. His response wasn't point fingers and criticize them. He goes, let me pick you up and set you free. My goal is to help you, to heal you, and to see you made whole. To help you out from that spot. He says, go and sin no more. And, and the world will try to tell you the going, but if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. That's dumb. I'm a parent. As a parent, do you realize out of love how often I have to disagree with my kids? Especially when they're really little. 
You're like, no, you can't eat dog food. But I want to, don't you love me? Yes, I love you, so stop eating dog food. Yes, I love you, so you may not run around in the parking lot. You cannot play matchbox cars in the road. But I want to. You mean and restrictive parent. Judgmental. No, I love you enough to disagree. I love you enough that I want to see you whole. And, and there's, there's so much. But here's, here's a really important verse, and I'm going to go, go through three points in like three minutes, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, um, it lists the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. It says, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He goes, what you were doesn't matter anymore because Jesus wants to forgive you. He goes, you've received his forgiveness, then what you were is not what you are, and it doesn't matter what those things are that are behind you. God wants to wash you and make you whole and make you new. And if you've been struggling, I want you to know that God wants you to be washed, whole, and sanctified. And three steps to get out in three minutes. If you've been caught, flee from it. Run. And I can tell you lots and lots of different Bible stories and things, but Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 18. He goes, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better off without a hand than in hell with two hands. If it's your eye, he says, gouge it out. Now let me put some context to this. Um, if it was necessary, cutting off your hand would be worthwhile. However, as I look at this verse, he didn't say hack off your arm because your hand caused you to sin. He goes, what is the smallest cut that you could do to stop the problem? Rather than gouging out your eyes, it'd probably be more effective put it, to put an internet filter on your phone. And you go, but that would, that would cut off my freedom if someone else is getting a report of what I'm looking at. Well, fine. Cut off your freedom. Go to a stupid phone that flips. And you're like, can you download a picture? You're like, no, I can't download anything. Accountability software. Um, flee from it. Romans 13, 14 says, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Find the spot where you struggle and eliminate that spot. And you're like, hey, it's here. It's these channels. Then change what channels you get. You're like, oh, but you can get a filter. You can let your friends set the password on your filter. There's, if you close these doors, it makes such a difference. Don't, number two, I got like three minutes or less now. So don't, don't isolate. Don't try to do this on your own. The devil likes to work in darkness. And it, the Bible says it's shameful even to mention what they do in darkness. In James 5, 16, it says, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. Ecclesiastes 4, 10 says, if, one, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. 
There is so much power in getting somebody. And if you're struggling sexually, find somebody of the same gender to help you. And to go through going, hey, I'm struggling. And go, okay, what are you going to do to get free? How are you going to flee from it? And I'm going to check with you. And you can tell them, depending on how much you're struggling, how frequently they need to check on you. You may go, hey, check with me every month. Check with me every week. You're like, check with me every day. You're like, can you schedule like text messages on an hourly basis? Like, like you know, you may know your level of, of stuck, but let somebody help you. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes him will obtain mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. And if you decide in advance, number three, Psalms 101 Verse two and three, David says, I will walk with integrity within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. If we'll decide ahead of time, we can walk in freedom. But as I, I look, so there's a, if I, if we're struggling, if we flee from it, if we don't isolate, and if we decide in advance, we can find, we can, we, we can be free. Jesus says he wants to wash and see people set free. Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? Whether you're here, whether you're watching online, there are people who don't know my Jesus who've not received that forgiveness. And maybe you've struggled in this area, maybe not. But he goes through and says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if you say, you know what? I have not come to Jesus to be washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. I have not made him my Lord. Maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you say, you know what? I've been living for something else. And today I want to make Jesus the Lord in my life. I want to give you an opportunity to call on his name and to be washed, to be sanctified, and to know that you're right with him and on your way to heaven. One, get ready. Whether you're in person, whether you're online, you can type it in the chat. You can click the little thing to raise your hand. One, two, get ready. Three, go ahead and say, that's me. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Who says, that's, that's me. I want to know that my sins are forgiven, that I'm right with God and on my way to heaven. Awesome. Who else says, that's me? This is the most important decision that anybody ever makes. All right. The Bible says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. So that's what we're going to do. So go ahead and repeat this after me, whether you raised your hand tonight or you've done that before, say, God, thank you for loving me. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid the price for my sins. I believe he rose again, victorious over death, sin, and the devil. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord. I will no longer live for myself. I will live for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.